thank you. Um, I wanted to add something to Katrina's uh, dream. Uh, I'm looking for Katrina. Where is she? Okay, there you go, Katrina. So this is something that happened to me uh, recently. Um, you know, I think everybody in this room could say there's things that we feel like we lost in life for, for whatever reason. Um, dreams, anointing, right? Um, moves of God, uh, financial things, uh, relationships, which are the most devastating, I think. Um, but, and I've had a lot of that, and I've really struggled with it, uh, honestly. A loss. Uh, somehow it's just a flat, flat devil, right? <laughs> the devil somehow gets involved in stuff, and we sort of, we sort of yield to him, and, uh, you know, start believing stuff we shouldn't believe, and it really, it really destroys us. But um, I, I, I felt, you know, the, the Lord is so uh, amazingly and so beautiful where He will continually work in your life if you give Him a chance. Yeah. He will never stop working unless you stop Him. And then He will pester you and send people to you that really frustrate you. But one of the things that I realized I, I was doing... This this week is I had some some blame towards people, okay? That they because of their rejection, or their disagreement with me and with the direction of my life, it discouraged me and it made me give up on some things. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so I had this little thing of resentment in me towards certain people. It was just a little thing. Uh, and I didn't, it was, it was kind of subconscious. It wasn't something that I was thinking about, like, you know, those dirty rats, you know. Uh, but then that, those people may say something to me that related to what I felt like they talked me out of. And that resentment would kind of rise up. You know, like, well, that, you know, it's their fault. But it really, well, the Holy Spirit said, it's not their fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. You let them do that. You gave them a place that they did not deserve in your life. You gave them a place that only the Holy Spirit deserves. And so I had to really acknowledge to the Lord that it was my fault. You know, some liberty comes yeah. When you let go of things, yeah. there's really some real liberty, and there's a really, uh, you know, just a really powerful presence of the Lord will come in your life, and actually some renewal of things. So I believe the dream, you know, we all have these. I'm just telling you my particular problem with some of my losses, what and how God is showing me how to regain and be restored for with these things by. By accepting responsibility yeah. and stopping shifting blame and pointing my finger at it is their fault and I'm like I am. You get what I'm saying? Like I used to do that about my parents all the time. And the Lord said, well, I put you with them. You know, I knew what was going to happen. So I just want to encourage you at the end of the service, you know, that that really is a word from the Lord for some people in here. And it may apply different to you, but we're in a time where God wants to restore mm -hmm. all things. 
Jesus is not going to return until all things are restored. That's what the scripture teaches specifically. So if you lost some things along the way, I think God really wants to do some stuff for you today. Amen? Amen. Hey, listen, that prayer walk yesterday was, it was enhanced. You should have been there. Uh, But it was great. Thank you for all the prayers. Um, So that week 40 thing will be really great. Um, This is really, it was intense, man. Uh, The prayer walk itself is intense. I mean, literally, I stepped across the street to begin the prayer walk, and it, I felt this, and I felt it every time I've done it, but this one caught me by surprise. My knees literally buckled because I felt this weight hitting me right in my chest. It made my knees buckle, physically. I was like, whoa, you know, and it was really the heart of God. Uh, you know, so I want to encourage you to go to that thing if you can. Listen, that abortion center that they're walking around and praying, there has been, that abortion center has been open for 19 years. There have been over 100,000 babies murdered at that place. Think about that. That is the most, it's the largest in terms of production, and that's a bad word, but in terms of babies killed, it's the largest one in the southeast United States. Bigger than Atlanta, bigger than Miami, just, there's more babies killed there than anywhere. So it's really one of the darkest places in the southeast United States, right there in Charlotte. One of the darkest places. It's an evil place. And you can feel it. Boy, you get there, you can feel there is massive warfare going there. I mean, massive. It's... Uh, It'd be about like, uh, if you move down there, it's like be like living in Jerusalem. There's a conflict going around you constantly. Uh, but the Lord's doing something. He really is. So, anyway, I want to tell you that. Uh, uh, put it on your calendar. November 16th, I'm going to go down there, and I'm going to be with 300 other churches, all kinds of Christians. Some of them was looking at me a little sideways yesterday. I found out, oh, there's, these are Baptists, and they were looking at me sideways. Oh, Lord. Baptists really don't care about some of my stuff. But, but the Lord got them before it was over with. I was really blessed to get to do that. Thank you, Lord, and thank you for praying for me. Amen. And there were babies saved just In fact, last week, I don't know how many yesterday, but the total of last week, 12 women decided not to have that's people just praying and not doing anything, not sure. trying to go beat somebody up right. and get locked up. Just, you know. I just want to brag on him. He's really nervous about doing this because it's kind of, there's a pattern to the way you do those, the whole protocol. And he was really sweating it. And lots of people were praying for him. But when he got up, it was right in the middle of, we were right across from the abortion center praying and worshiping. The anointing fell on him. And the the African Americans were the first ones to catch up. And then they got stirred up. And so it was just from that moment, from that point on, everybody who did anything, Mm. the anointing just really fell. And it was really a powerful afternoon. Mm. And I got stirred up when we got there. And um, it was, and it was hard. We had three grandkids, and we had to get out the door at seven thirty in the morning uh, to go get them to the other grandparents. It was tough. But we, when I got there, I got really touched because there were a row of people directly in front of the abortion center praying, and they were facing toward it. And it looked like they were from different denominations. And it really got me to see a priest. He was pacing, and he was sprinkling holy water. 
And I'm just like, you know, this thing brings the body together. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. This is, to me, it is the, it's the battle of our life. Of this, of this, this is the battle of our life. And it's really easy to get dulled down by, uh, you know, always, you know, just get, it's just common, you know. But I believe it's, when you get there, you will feel the heart of God. When you get in that prayer line to start walking and worshiping, you really need to go and experience. And I, they do say the more people that show up, the more people turn away from abortion. So I just want to say that. That was good. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to read this verse to you. Try to get this message. Lord help, right? Yes, Lord. Holy Spirit. Yeah, I've been thinking about that scripture where it says Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. He wasn't just anointed with the Holy Spirit. Now, and all the power comes from the Holy Spirit, obviously, but there's a dimension of the Holy Spirit that was on Jesus. A power dimension. And God wants to release that power dimension to the body of Christ. Because Jesus, you know, he walked in it and he really is, asking, if we're going to follow Jesus sooner or later, if we're truly blessed, we're going to walk into that power dimension. I don't feel like I feel like we've touched it here and there, but I believe we're coming to a day when the power of God is going to get released, and we're going to see God in powerful ways. I believe that. I'm holding out for that. You may not be. Okay, you're foolish if you don't hold out for that because that's what Jesus did, and that's what made the difference in His ministry. He was not just a nice person doing nice things all the time. He did something that nobody else could do. And see, that's what God's calling the body of Christ to do—to do something we can't do. And it only happens through the power of God, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So we're asking for that. Amen? And it doesn't really matter, like the famous friend here, Paul Oryx, said, my experience is, I remember her telling this guy, who, it was her argument against the miracles that God was doing through this person over in Africa. And Paul was, my experience was, and he said, your experience doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. What matters is the word of the Lord. And that was a good word, right, Paul? I'll never forget that. I was glad it was Paul saying it. <laughs> yeah. I was glad Paul did all that because I'm saying, like, she's taking my review for me. <laughs> I wanted to say the same thing to her. I, she was a few steps ahead of me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 48 through 49. Now, let me tell you the background on this real quickly. Uh, most of you know the background on this little, little couple of verses. Jesus was 12 years old, and his parents were very uh, followers of the, of the Lord. So they had these, you know, celebrations in Jerusalem for major feasts like Pentecost, etc. Uh, first fruits, tabernacles, all the uh, Passover, and they would come up to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so they did when Jesus was 12 and then they had their celebration it was time for them to go back home. And so they headed back to, the, to their house and I, in those days it was a very much of a communal thing. Family, friends were all tra traveling together and Jesus wasn't necessarily with his mom and dad. Um, but they just assumed that he was with family or friends. That's the kind of world they lived in, right? You know, some of us grew up in a time when you didn't lock your front door at night. I know that yeah, you, you didn't have to. There was nobody coming in. 
And if anybody did come in, you warned them to come in. And not wake you up. Just come on in. I remember one time I was sitting in 5.30 in the morning up praying and I heard somebody unlocking my door. It was dark. I'm thinking, who the heck is coming into my house at 5.30 in the morning? It was Andrew Stein. <laughs> one of my sons. Y'all know Andrew. is my, my son's friend. Oh, hey, Andrew. <laughs> Phillip's upstairs in bed still. <laughs> Yeah, he's coming to eat leftovers. <laughs> Call Andrew. Well, there's Andrew back there. We fattened him up. You know, I'll never forget that. Well, you know, Jesus, they got to realizing that Jesus, they got to looking for Jesus after, after, I think a day, they went a day. They got to looking for Jesus and couldn't find him. Well, you know, that would scare anybody to lose their son, especially if your son happened to be God, right? <laughs> now you've got God, you've lost God. Have you in this room have felt that in their life? There is a story in that in itself. For me, that, is, that was my heart. Somewhere in life, I've just lost God. He's gone. I don't ever hear him from him no more. He don't never do that. I never talk to God anymore because I don't know where he went. Have you ever been that person? I have so many times. I, that's, that was what I've gleaned from those verses for years. I've lost God. <laughs> well, they went back and they spent a day in Jerusalem looking for him. So at, at this point in time, his parents, they were probably just flipping slam out. You know, I mean, just, I mean, you know, as a parent or a grandparent, you know what that would feel like. You would be frantic. You would be beside yourself. And they finally found him in the temple, you know, having a conversation with the with the priest and the rabbis there, you know, asking them questions. And they were all just stunned at Jesus. They were stunned at this 12-year-old. Uh, and his parents, it says in verse 48, they didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? God, why have you done this to me? See, these people, they get it. They were just like, why, God, have you let this happen to me? Everybody in this room, if you follow God, you're going to have that question. God, why did you let this happen? So don't be feeling bad. You're in good company. Uh, this is the woman who was visited by Gabriel, the angel, and she's still saying stuff. Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need... And then this is Jesus, verse 49. But why... Did you need to search? What in the world? Why did you need to search? I mean, that's a crazy response if you think about it. Because you're our son and you're not with us. You're not in the right place. That's why Jesus, but see, Jesus at that point, he was operating in a different realm. Totally different realm. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Isn't that beautiful? Didn't you know that? Um, You know, years ago, I went through the Gospels. I could it's just a fascinating thing to me. I was thinking about this thing they call, you know, first impressions. You only get one chance to first impression with people. And, um, you know, when people first meet you, they form an opinion of you relatively quickly. And if you, uh, if you're insecure and mousy and messed up in your life, but you, you're faking it through life, you're wearing masks and acting somewhat, people still pick up on that stuff. And it repels them. 
And so you, you can go through life. Why? Nobody's nobody like me because you don't like yourself. You don't like yourself. That's why nobody likes you because you're putting off these negative vibes and they feel it. And people, when people meet somebody, they don't. Nobody's looking for a project. <laughs> and I, we got enough projects. We got our wives. We got our husbands. We got our children. They're projects. We got our boss. We got the guy next to us at work. We got these people in church. We don't need any new projects. And so that's why people repel. It's been proven psychologically. That's what happens. Well, so Jesus, there's these first impressions of Jesus in the Gospels. That each of the Gospel writers were trying to give us a first impression of him. They were very intentional, like, like, so you can get the first thing he said. This is interesting. Go and read the Gospels and read the first thing that Jesus said in that particular Gospel. Sometimes it's a message. Okay? Sometimes it's just chit-chat. Okay? Like, for instance, and, and the first message is very valid, valid and powerful. The first, me- like the first message Jesus gave in the Gospel of Matthew was this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the reason that was the first message Matthew wanted us to hear is because Matthew was trying to demonstrate and reveal Jesus is the king. Jesus is king. You heard about that new album, Jesus is King, or in record? This guy, this black rapper. Hey, he's got people saying that. Unsaved people saying that, talking to him about this. Jesus the King is being proclaimed over the airwaves. Yeah. Yeah. He did an interview with this guy, Jimmy Kimmel, which I don't ever follow people like that, though. They said that Jimmy Kimmel said six, at least six times in the conversation that Jesus is King. He's tricked them. He's tricked I mean, even the song's no good. He's tricked everybody. He's got the world proclaiming who the King is. Jesus is King. Well, so here, uh, man, I'm just spending so much time talking about this. Lord help. Luke, here Luke is, you know, Luke's gospel is all about Jesus, the Son of Man, the manhood of Jesus, the Jesus, the, the God, Jesus, the human being. He really talks a lot about the human side of Jesus and tries to help us get to know this Jesus, that he, he was a human being. And so the very first things that he wanted us to hear was not Jesus when he was a grown man preaching, and doing miracles, but he wanted us to hear the Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. So we could really start relating to Jesus was a boy at one time. Jesus was a little boy at one time, and Jesus had parents that he had to to interact with. He had brothers and a sister that he had to deal with. And and that's what Luke was trying to get us to see, that, that even though Jesus was fully God, but he was also a human being a human is a beautiful thing. If it's not beautiful to you, then you're missing something that is a gift from God. Because you could have been created as a dog. <laughs> you know? That would be a rough life. You know, having to eat dog food. Been rough. Anyway, thank you, Lord. So. I think it's amazing, though, that in those words of Jesus, didn't you know I must be in my Father's house? Or another translation says, did, I, did you not know I must be about my Father's business? Those are the two main ways it's translated. It literally, if you look at it literally, like Young's literal translation of the Bible that gives you an exact 
word for word translation. It literally means this. Did you not know I had to be in the things of my father or about the things of my father? The things of my father. And he totally, totally left the things, whatever those things are, they're totally undefined at that moment. He didn't try to define what those things are. That's really important. He could have tried to define them because he knew what they were, but he left them undefined. And that, there was a purpose in that. There's undefined things of the Father that Jesus wanted to know, uh, wanted us to, to know. So, so this is a very powerful uh, statement here, the things of the Father. In fact, this is Jesus. It, he is describing his entire ministry in that phrase. That's why he, his whole purpose for coming to the earth was to describe, you know, he described it. And those, if you had to sum up the Gospels, if you had to sum up the New Testament, you could say Jesus was about the things of the Father. Because that's what the whole thing is. If you don't want to read the whole thing, you can read that sentence over and over. And you, that's the big picture. That's the flyover about what the Gospels are all about. The things of the Father. And that's what Jesus came to the earth to do and be about and reveal. And so he, so I wanted to tell you just a few little things here. Are y'all good? Yeah. Um, and just, so I'm going to pick out the phrase. The first one is my father. Okay? This is old news for River Life, but it should be old news. Let's make this new news. Let's keep this going. Let's keep burning on this. Jesus did not come to the earth just to save you. That was not real. Jesus came to the earth not only to save you, not only to redeem you, but he came to the earth to reveal the Father and connect us back to the Father. Yeah, right. He said, if you've seen me, John 14, 7 through 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I know I say this probably every other week that I preach. Listen, if you want to know what God's like, don't start in the Old Testament. Start with Jesus. Yeah. Start with Jesus because what you see in the old is just a shadow and a type. What Jesus came, he said, this is what the real deal is about. This is what the shadow, that can be a little distorted, and you can't really understand shadows always. You know, my grandkids are out in the yard and have the flashlight playing with their shadow. Look how big my shadow is. Look how little they really are. The real thing is not exactly what we think. But Jesus came to reveal what the Father was all about. And he said, my Father. It's interesting if you think about it, that you got massive amounts of Bible, massive amounts of history, of God history. You know, starting back in Genesis all the way to the time Christ came and God was never personally addressed as the Father, as my Father. By anybody. Nobody addressing that because God saved. He saved that revelation for His Son, His only begotten Son, to declare it. Now this is important because we will never, never see the, the revelation of the Father and the revelation of the Son are vitally connected. They, can never, they will never be separated. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Jesus, you know, when Jesus came, he was, that was what He was about. You, you can't separate the Father from the Son. They're, they're inseparable. We would never know God as a Father apart from the Son. This is a big powerful thing that the Son of God wants us to know. He don't want us just to see Him on the cross 
dying, that's beautiful. That was an expression of love. He wants us to know the Father. He's, it's an invitation to know God as a Father. Well, we can say, He's my Father. Let me read this one other verse in John 20. This is the first conversation Jesus had after He was resurrected from the dead. The first one. What do you think He would come talking about after being resurrected from the dead? Let me tell you what hell's like, y'all. No. No, the thing that was burning in His heart after all He went through after the three and a half years on the earth, and the thing that was burning in him, after all the suffering and the pain, this is what he said to Mary, you know, she was having these issues. He said, don't cling to me. That's another story. Okay, and that's, that's a powerful story. But Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers. This is powerful, y'all. And tell them this one thing. I'm ascending to my Father. Isn't that beautiful? Back to my father. But he didn't stop there this right. time. Right. Right. Yeah. He didn't say when he met, when, when his parents were anxious about him, yeah, uh, my father and your father, there was no your father at that point. But here, yeah. the very first thing after resurrected, my father and your father. So he begins his life on the earth declaring, this is my father and I'm going to be about his things. And one of his things, one of his big things, is to get you into this same relationship that I have with him. That he's no longer just God. Oh, that's beautiful. And we want God to be our God. God is my God. But it's got to go beyond him just being my God. Right? I've got to have this other relationship with him. I've got to have this father-son relationship. And if I don't have that father-son relationship, he will never be personal, my father. Isn't that an amazing thing? It's just amazing. And it's the most one of the most powerful revelations I believe there is. I believe this. This is personal opinion. Okay? I can't necessarily 100% prove it, but I think this right here proves what I just read. Is I think, you know, we have different revelations about we're going to be a friend of God. That's... Yeah, that's beautiful. I no longer call you servants for friends. Uh, we're gonna, we got the, the bride of Jesus. That's beautiful, right? I mean, we want, we want to get there one day. We haven't really got that relation flowing too well, but we're going to get there. Okay? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. But I believe this revelation supersedes those revelations. I believe knowing God as a Father is the foundational revelation. You know, where we can begin to know this bride of Christ, being the bride, being a friend, being a brother, all these different ways that God wants us to be in kings and priests, and all, all these different things. I, I feel like we don't have this foundation. And I just looked at the clock, and I've spent so much all long time <laughs> talking about that. That's all right, come on. I encourage you, you know, with this father thing. It's not a one shot deal. And I really will to say this. It's, there's a lot of healing that has to happen in us. Okay? A lot of healing has to go on in our hearts to really, you know, and letting God speak to you and letting God reveal himself. Like that thing the Lord told me about blaming us, that was a father talking to me. A father talking to a son. Like, son, that ain't going to work for you. Quit blaming them for that. You take responsibility for that. That's how you're going to get out of this fix. That's how you're going to get your dreams restored. That's how you're going to get your revelation. That's how you're going to get these things back. Did you quit blaming other people, son? It was a helpful thing. Him reaching out to me as only a father can. Are y'all following that? Yeah. Here's another thing Jesus said I thought was amazing. 
Listen, I must be about the things of my father. Listen, everybody say the word must. Must, must is a big word in the Bible. There's must in, in, in Jesus' life. He said, I must be doing it. Must is a, a destiny word. Must is a purpose word. Must is a calling word. Yeah. Okay, must is, is, is big. Must is huge. We all have must. Jesus had many other levels of must. Here's someone that once I thought was interesting. He said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I must do it. It was something in him driving him. It wasn't something outward. We're not talking about an outward must. We're not talking about bondage. We're not talking about somebody trying to get you to do something. There was something in him. God, do you know what it is to have something in you, a must in you in your life? You do. If you're a parent, you know it. You've experienced it. You've experienced it. If you're a parent, you've experienced a must. Amen. Oh, he said another time, he said, I must suffer. I must suffer. That's what Jesus said. He said, I must go to Jerusalem and die because it ain't right for a prophet to die outside of Jerusalem. I must do that. That's what he said. Oh, I just love all these must. One time he told Zacchaeus, I must eat at your house. There was something driving it on the inside. It wasn't just an outward thing. Like, oh, they got good food. I've got a lot of money. I'm going to have some good food. I'm going to eat there. Yeah. Anyways, let me read what the Apostle Paul, how he said it. He had this same kind of mustache. Uh, Preaching the good news, this is 1 Corinthians 9, 16, is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by God. I'm compelled. That was his must. I'm compelled. That's how he was saying. I'm compelled. I'm compelled to preach. I'm compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. He was why he was saying, My life, I would have missed the reason I came to the earth. I would have missed the reason I was born. God put something in me. It has compelled me. And I'm I'd be foolish for not doing it. So we all have these different musts in our life, right? You know, musts are, are not one size fit all. You know, right? No, we, we all, we're not any of us in here thinking, oh, I, go, I must go to Jerusalem and die. We're not thinking that way. We must go to Jerusalem and feast. Yeah, that's what we're thinking. We're going to go have some fun in Jerusalem and enjoy what God's doing over there. Uh, the question we all have to ask is, is there a must in your life? See, that's the question. Do you have a must from God? I know you have other musts. I know many of us, we must get up and go to work if we're going to eat. That's a must. Yeah. I mean, it's part of life, right? But let me read this, these verses here to you. I love this. Um, hey, think about it like this. I, I'm going to read this, but I'm going to think about it like this. You know what a pregnant woman, that word, I'm craving pickles. Have you ever heard that? Pregnant women, I mean, I think, or I'm craving ice cream, or you know, y'all know about that, right? Yeah. You know, women who are pregnant have these cravings for certain foods. At least my wife did. Now, what did you crave, Becky? She craved that I would stay out of her way. <laughs> <laughs> she craved to get, when she was delivering the, our baby, she was craving to get her hands on me and choke me. <laughs> she really was. I kept my hands on your jeans. Just leave me alone. Let me read this. This is really tough right here. Do not love this world, listen, nor the things it offers you. Listen to this. Don't love. Don't love this world or the things it offers you. The world offers us all something, right? 
It's not all bad stuff. It's not all evil stuff. It's not all wicked stuff. It doesn't mean we can't partake in some of these things, but he's warning us. John's warning us, don't love it. If you love it, it's going to hurt you. If you love it, it's going to... Some of you got... You're, you, you, that's where your must is. You, you got a must because you're loving something. Because that's what must is. Must comes out of passion. Jesus said the zeal for his house was consuming him. There was this passion in Jesus for the house of the Lord. And it was driving. It was a love. It was a, it was a burning passion in him. And a lot of Christians have this love for the things of the world that's superseding their love for the things of God. I'm messing with you right now. Uh, are y'all good? Oh, then he says, but when you love the world, you do not have the love of who? The Father in you. In other words, this love has displaced a greater love. A lesser love, a lesser desire, or lesser must has displaced something that God wants you to have. This is convicting. This is really convicting. This is where the craving comes, pickles. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Is that what your love is? Is that what you're craving? Your comfort? Your, the things around you? The physical things around you? Is, is that is that become more important to you than Jesus? Than the kingdom? You might say, no, it's not. But in practice, look at your practice. Look at your practice. Look at your life and ask yourself that. If you do, be careful. You might not like the answer. I'm just being honest with you. I don't like some of the answers I get. You know, from God. But that's a good answer because it frees you if you'll pay attention. A craving for physical, a craving for everything we see. Craving for the things we see. Craving for them. What are you craving for today? Is there something you're really craving for? Ask, think about it. Think about it. Think about this. This is going to direct your life. It's going to direct your life. I'm going to tell you that now. You know, this is what we need. This is what the body of Christ needs. You know, the body of Christ needs the truth. The body of Christ does not, needs to be, to realize that we're in the world, but we're not a part of the world. We cannot love the world. If we love all of that, it's going to destroy us. And, and when we start loving it, we start compromising. We start giving away the precious. And start holding on to something that ultimately in the end is going to be worthless to you. I'm not trying to be mean, y'all. Trust me. I'm, I'm talking to me as much as, you know, this is, this is Ben talking to me. Craving, you know, for physical pleasure or craving for everything we see and pride in our achievement and possessions. Y'all comes down, we'll, we'll, we'll take us into pride. And the Bible says God knows the proud from afar. He doesn't know the proud up close. Your pride he creates a, a barrier between you and God where, where God can't do what He wants to do in your life because there's this wall that gets built. God didn't build it, we build it. I'm sorry if y'all don't like this kind of preaching. Listen to what He said. These are not from the Father. These are not from the Father. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Listen, he's saying, this is not from the Father. In other words, he's saying, you better pay attention to your life because this, the Father's not giving you this. This is not what the Father wants you to have. 
Am I crazy? But they're from the world. And you know who controls the world? Ephesians tells us. The prince of the power of the air. The ruler of this world. So you're, you're, you know, the, the devil has a lot of power over the world, but he shouldn't have power over us. And then he says this about all this stuff. This world's fading away. In other words, all this stuff you're craving, all this stuff you put this energy and stuff into, you're putting it in something that's going to fade away. Mm. Again, I'm not saying we can't partake in things. It comes down to the love of those things. That's good, What's Byron. What's driving thing in your heart? Come on. Thank you, you, Lord. When, you, when that love becomes too great, you start really craving those mm. things. It's going to, you're, you're craving something that's fading. It's, it's, going, it's going to dissipate. It's like I'm trying to grab a whole smoke. Mm. And so, this world is fading along, away along with everything that people crave. Everything. Mm, yeah. then, everything. Then the restoration comes. That's yes, what Jesus is saying. That was Jesus' mass. Mm. Jesus' craving was not of that. It was from the Father. It was the Father. Be about <coughs> what is for the Father himself and the things of the Father. Whatever those things were. And whatever those things happened to be in our lives. Y'all okay? Mm, yeah. Come on. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So, mm. Thank you, Lord. You know, I've always thought, you know, must. There's a must and there's a lust, right? One little letter changes. This is a thin line between this, y'all. There's a thin line from a godly, righteous must to something that's fading away that's going to hurt you. It's very thin. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to help us to stay out of that, slide over into that. I don't think there's a, there's not a gray area with this. You know? It's, it's, this is a black and white thing. I hate to say that because I'm not a black and white person. I'm kind of a gray area person. There's things that are black and white. The woman I married is black and white. <laughs> so we had lots of fights because she's black and white. And I'm like, uh-uh, no. It's not black. That's not white. It's gray. No, it's not. <laughs> we have knocked down Dragon House over one time. I think I've told you that. We got such a fight here at church talking about church stuff because I was gray and she was like, Matthew, this was Matthew Bowden. He got up and left because he was humiliated and be like, how would in the world have a family fight in here? I mean, we were going toe to toe. We have some pretty crazy fights. I quit doing it because I've lost all of them. But I want to tell you what the Lord told me. Because I was feeling, I was feeling a little bad about that, after, especially after Matthew told me why he left. Like, what's he leaving for? We're supposed to do this. And that. Like, wow, this is bad. This is what the Lord told me about. People who some people who are black and white versus people who are gray. Sometimes black and white, well I just read you, is exactly right. Sometimes gray is right. I'm not talking about making compromise. Sometimes so there's wisdom is, oh, this time this is black and white. You're right. So we're submitting to what she says when it's black and white. Are y'all following that? Amen. Helped us a lot. We still fight, but or she still fights. <laughs> She's still fighting. I don't fight her. It's, there's no win. You can't win a fight with her. I mean, it is no I'm just going to tell you right now, she is impossible. And I am. I was always a great fighter. I was always a great person to be able to get my way and win. But I can't do it with her. I have been defeated. I have been totally defeated. 
meeting in high-level meetings in government that are there literally drunk, intoxicated on alcohol or drugs. If you listen to them talk, you can hear them. They're slurring their things. These are people who are making decisions for us. And why are they there making those decisions? Because we said, that's secular. And we only do sacred stuff. Right? Come on, I'm telling you, it's the truth. Wait, we're the ones who made this mess. We're the salt and light, supposedly. And we have to begin to buy into our responsibilities that we did it. Oh, Lord, help. You don't want money? We'll take the money. Y'all don't like money and wealth? That's bad. We'll take all the money and wealth. You know? Oh, Lord, help, right? But I have felt like in my lifetime, so I feel like there's been a shift in all that. There really had, that shift has already happened. The shift is, I believe the church today pretty much says, that is not true. There's not a statement in state. That is just not true. I can be in government. I can be in schools and it's just as sacred as a preacher of the gospel. I see, when we begin to believe that, we the church can be brought up off our knees. You know, and begin to gain back through, like with the abortion thing. Like, let's, let's just pray and let's get together and pray. Let's believe God that He's going to stop this. But don't, let's just don't pray about abortion. Let's try to help the women who make decisions not to have abortions. We'll help you. We'll talk to you. We'll give you a baby shower. And the, mm. yeah. I'm just saying, I think God is, is, is shifting the church. So I, I think, what I just told you, I feel like that's what I grew up in a lot in the Christianity. It was a secular and secular. Secular and secular. Sacred and secular. Okay? But I feel like God has shifted that now. Or is shifting it. That in well, you and I, all of us need to really feel empowered about what we're doing. You know, if, if this is working in a factory, you need to feel empowered. That you, those people that God's put around you, that you can have an influence on them. You can love those people. You can talk to those people. You don't have to preach to them. You don't have to tell them a bunch of church stuff. You can just be there as another human being and empathize with them and tell them stuff that God's done in your life and what God has done for you without saying a word about God. And then the moment may come when you can say something about God. Are you following me? Yes. And I think that's where the church, where God, that's the revival, the move of God is to be able to do that in our everyday lives and be those people who carry the presence of God everywhere we go. And it's just not, oh, it's just on Sunday or, in a, or our prayer together. All that's amazing and beautiful. Are y'all okay? Yes, like, mm. Yes, sir. Hey, listen, this is one of my most famous things. That, are y'all okay right now? Yeah. This, was, this was the revelation that Bob Jones gave me about the, about the secular and secular, secular. He said, whether I'm preaching the gospel, raising the dead, healing the sick, or taking a nap, it's all the same. The pay is the same in God. Right. Oh, wow. Taking a nap suddenly has become sacred. It's all the same to God. God sees us all as sacred. Everything's sacred to God. He wants us to make it sacred. Look, we live in this intersection. Two kingdoms. Okay? That's where we live. 
There's two kingdoms that operate. There's the kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom of darkness. And we're stuck right there in the middle. Okay? Right where God wanted us. So we can take this kingdom of heaven that we carry in us and release it to people out there in very unique and creative ways. Okay? We just need to ask God about it. Ask Him, how can we be this? How can we do this? I'm going to end because I, I need to end. <laughs> but I do want to tell you about something that happened to me a few years ago that really impacted me powerfully. I had this powerful I had a lot of visions in my life, but and a lot of them, you know, are now starting to come back to me as for now. But this particular vision is I was seeing the kingdom of heaven, okay, on earth. And I saw the people of God, and they were beautiful. They were colorful. And I saw the people of the world. They were not, they were dull. They were, they were gray. Yeah. <laughs> they were gray. They wanted what we had. But they couldn't get to us. There was a barrier between us. There was, but there was a doorway. There was a doorway where we could tell them, hey, this is the way you can get where we're in. I saw that. It, and it just like So I believe there's going to be a, a harvest where the world is going to come to the people of God because of what we carry. We carry this beautiful person as Him. But I also saw this. I saw certain people who were in the beautiful, colorful congregation get up and walk out through that same door that people came in into that world because the Bible says Demas who was Paul's traveling companion having loved this present world has forsaken me that there are people that we have this love this craving for the world and like Demas that's the last thing we hear about Demas we hear other things about Demas if you read the scripture where he was with Paul he was supporting Paul he was part of this move of God and he forsook it because he loved the world. I saw people doing that. And I remember in the vision, people trying to beg him not to do it. And I watched them as they did it. I watched the beauty. I watched the color go away. I'm not saying they were going to go to hell or anything. Okay, I ain't, I'm just suggesting Jesus is what makes us beautiful. Okay? I saw that, y'all. Having love this present world. I call it a spirit of Demas. Having love this present world. Do you have that spirit working on you today? You need to ask yourself. It's not mine to ask. But I did see one other thing in the dream, or it was a vision. I saw a locker room. It was, I can't, it's crazy, man. It was NBA. <coughs> it was an NBA locker room because I recognized some of the people that were in there. And I saw dark cloud go into that locker room. And I said there, I was trying to warn them in the vision, there's a darkness coming into the NBA. I didn't know what that meant. I was too stupid to know what it meant. I had no clue what it meant. I just told people I knew in sports, be careful, don't let the darkness that gets, and I love sports. I do. But I don't love this. I don't love what I've heard recently. I don't love 
because of money. Okay? I'm not trying to be political, but I'm just saying this. You have an organization that's worth billions of dollars, and people like you and me go and are entertained by them. I think that's awesome. But when they are afraid to say what's going on in Hong Kong and what China is doing to Hong Kong, when they're afraid to say that because they're going to lose money, there's something wrong with that. My, my belief. Amen. I believe, you know, because of people... And they can say it in the United States, they're all big on it. But when it comes to that, when it begins to affect their pocketbook, they have a different opinion. That's just not, there's something hypocritical, there's something wrong with that. And we need to, what I'm trying to tell you, we need to be paying attention to what's going on in our world. It's not just natural, it's not a bunch of, you know, athletes being bad people. There's a spiritual war going on. There's spiritual things happening. And the, and the church has to begin to pay attention to these things. And, we, and here's where we start. We start with our own hearts. Yeah. We don't start putting the NBA down and, you know, I'm not going to go to no more NBA games or I'm going to not watch them on time. I mean, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But, but really, that's not going to change them. That's not going to do anything to them. We need to change. We need to, in our hearts, if we got stuff that's tied us up, okay, if we are so authority, we have this love of the world working in us, you know, yeah. that's where we can start at. Yeah. And when we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to, to do what only the Holy Spirit can do, yeah. you know, things can begin to shift with us. And we can become that light. We can become that salt that can begin to have influence on the world around us like God called us to, to have influence day in and day out. You know, that's, that's, all, that's what I'm saying. That's what Jesus did. Okay, I just went too well. I just got out of control up here. <laughs> I think all this is important. I really do. I, I think it's important. Um, Lord, help us. Yeah. And have mercy on us. And just, you know, I've been praying for the NBA. Honestly. I, I've been praying. Because... They're being influenced by an evil spirit and they don't even know it. They don't know it. And so we can't really judge people like that and be down on people like that. Those people need the love of God worse than anybody. They need it as much as I needed it when I didn't have it. Well, I'm just going to pray. Lord, we just ask you today, Father. Got mercy on us, Lord. Yeah, Lord. Mm. And just. Um, I just pray, Holy Spirit, if there's people in this room feel convicted about cravings of the world and cravings of what they see, just that they've let that get into their life and they don't even know, they've not even, we're not aware of it and, and you're exposing that to them right now, I just ask you, Lord, to help them. Listen, don't be judged, be loved. That's, that's how I feel. Let God love you. Let the Father love you. Let Him help you. Uh, Jesus does not he does not push us away on any level he's always trying to come as a father to us to help us mm. thank you Lord I kind of feel like I've kind of preached all down that's what I feel like I have just put something on you yeah I want you to feel I want you to walk out here feeling 
more than anything, I want you to walk out there. Listen, a loveless world is a sightless world. It's a, you can't see if you don't have love. And when we begin to let this love work in us, we begin to see. See what's happening with, with the NBA. See what's happening in Hong Kong. See what's happening in our government. We can begin to see it. But if we don't have this love, we're going to see it wrong. <coughs> we're going to see it all wrong. He gave a great message on love last week, by the way. If you want to hear a good message. So get me out of this, please. Look back to folks. Jacob, if you want to come up, we're going to transition. Oh, you got it. Okay. Um, there's, there's tons of opportunity, folks. If you need something, if you want something, if you feel convicted that you're settling for the good of the world and not accepting God's best instead of it, there's opportunity this morning to, to have some some business to do with the Lord. So as we kind of transition out of out of worship to ministry time, don't lose sight that there's opportunity to still connect with the Lord and accomplish the things yet this morning, okay? So the um, ministry team is going to come forward. So they're going to be up here. If you feel convicted or if you feel like I've been dealing with, you know, the lust of the world or the draw of the world rather than what God has for me, there's opportunity to change your mind and partner with what the Lord's doing. Katrina's going to come up. If you feel like you've lost something that's been taken from you or you've lost, Katrina will pray with you. David, if you want to come up and come up over here, if you have a heart for missions or for Asia, you can partner with David right now, sending him forward. And um, if your name is Stephanie and you are in the need of healing, we have a word for you that we would like to connect you with. Please come and see me. There's a tons of opportunity, folks. So let me just pray a blessing and we'll close. And if you want to come up, come up. If you got to go, go. But let me say this. Dear Lord, you are so good to us. So, Father, I just pray that you would put on all of our hearts that we would be desperate for you and what you have for us. That the, the stuff that the world offers that glitters and seems good because it seems like it satisfies us, Lord, please, please, Jesus, do not let us settle for that. Let us receive your gold instead. Let us hunger for that and crave that so that we might pursue you, even in the midst of the glittery jazz around us, Lord, that we would pursue you in your goodness, and your perfect will for our lives. We love you, Lord. Amen. Be blessed as you go from here today, church. But again, there's opportunity for ministry, so come on up. Don't leave empty-handed.
Thank you. 